Hello, and welcome to the Seattle Coffee Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Pat, and we've got one more solo episode for you before we let out the year. And that's because I wanted to go over some more frequently asked questions that everybody seems to have around shopping for uh, espresso machines and coffee machines, seeing as how we're so close to the holidays and holiday shopping is really ramping up. I thought it would be useful for everyone to kind of get a little more of details on like some of the stuff you see on product pages that maybe we haven't covered in uh, detail or we haven't sort of plucked out of larger conversations and really defined and talked about in a more clear way. So I've got a few questions here to go over, some for uh, espresso machines and a couple for drip brewers, and I thought we could get started. Uh, So you might be shopping for a new kitchen upgrade this holiday season, and uh, this way you will be equipped to kind of make sense of some of the stuff that you'll see on product pages for these machines. So the first thing that I wanted to cover is we talk a lot about super automatic espresso machines and semi-automatic espresso machines. And by now, I'm sure you know, super automatics have a grinder built in. They can, some of them can automatically steam milk. It's all um, down to just a few button presses, and then you can get your drink. And semi-automatic machines are closer to the sort of standard espresso machine. Uh, Maybe you're pushing a button and getting your coffee, but you're setting everything up with your grind and your tamp, and then you're locking your portafilter in, and then you're manually pulling the, pressing the button to pull the shot and then stopping it. The reason we call this a semi-automatic machine and not a manual machine is because a manual machine is actually something that exists. And you've probably seen one before if you're into coffee. A lot of you probably already know what I'm talking about. But basically a manual machine is one that is lever operated where instead of having a pump to deliver the pressure that brews the espresso, you are pulling down on a pump and there's usually a mechanism in there to help increase the pressure that your pull is generating. And then you're like basically pushing the water through the, uh, the, the puck of ground coffee yourself with the pressure that you're putting on the arm. So there are no automatic elements to it at all. There's no automatic pump that is operating to put uh, water through the puck. Now, manual machines can be difficult Because, I mean, imagine if you had to deliver your consistent tamp all the way through the process of pulling a shot. That's kind of what you're getting with the manual. They usually have mechanisms to help you with that, but you're trying to pull a consistent amount of fairly heavy pressure for 20 to 30 seconds, which can be tiring and um, just straight up not fun for some users. But some people really like using manual espresso machines. They still usually will have an electrical component because they still heat the water. So they're not necessarily um, electricity free, but uh, there's less moving parts on them and there's less um, like computer boards and stuff like that, that that are in them to control programming and stuff like that because you're doing it all manually. So it's fun to look into and it might be a fun thing for you to try if you have a chance. Uh, I know that I have enjoyed brewing on the few manual machines that I've used, but not sure that they would replace the, the espresso machine on my countertop. With that kind of in mind, let's talk a little bit about pressure. One question that we get a lot and that you might have after doing a little bit of research is how many bars of pressure does this espresso machine brew at? And I think one thing to keep in mind is that we the reason we don't list pressure numbers really on or highlight them on Seattle Coffee Gear is because if we're selling a machine as an espresso machine, 
you can assume that it brews at or above nine bar of pressure or that it's capable of brewing at or above nine bar of pressure. The outside of that nine bar range, it doesn't really matter that much because that's the pressure you brew espresso at. So if you see an espresso machine touting that it has a 20 bar pump, uh, you're probably paying for uh, something that you don't need to. Um, It's not like it's going to last longer or provide, make better espresso or something if it's a higher pressure pump, because you only need that nine bar of pressure to brew espresso. So whether it's a 15 bar pump or a 20 bar pump doesn't really factor into its ability to brew espresso as long as it's not a five bar pump. So if you're seeing machines on Seattle Coffee Gear, you can be pretty safe to assume that it's going to brew at the pressure needed to brew espresso and that's it. You might even notice some super automatic machines that brew at a different level of pressure, potentially even like eight or 8.5. I'm not aware of any of those off the top of my head that we carry, but generally, even if you see a super auto and it's brewing at a slightly lower amount of pressure, it's probably doing other things to compensate, to to provide the proper extraction. Um, So I wouldn't worry too much about the pressure that the machine can put out. If you get a cheaper machine and you feel that it's not creating good espresso drinks, then it might be worth looking into the manufacturer and, uh, and seeing about, uh, like whether they're correctly advertising it as an espresso machine if it's only brewing at three or four bar pressure or something. So don't worry too much about that number, especially if you're looking at good, well-known brands like Rock Espresso or Breville or, or Solus or, um, you know, brands that have some some uh, integrity and, and some some uh, some respect the, uh, in the industry. So another one that is going to show up a lot on product pages is the term brew group. We talk about it a lot in content too. And I think we just assume that it's some, that's a term that makes sense, but it might not be a term that makes sense to you if you're new to purchasing espresso machines. So the brew group of an espresso machine is like literally the part where the water comes out and gets pushed into the portafilter in order to create the extraction and then get pushed through the portafilter. So, it's basically that that the group head is that part where the shower screen is connecting and 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 where the water is literally where you're seeing it come out of the machine. So the reason that we talk about brew groups is because there are a bunch of different ways that brew groups can be designed to aid in extraction. And most of this comes down to heat. Uh, water flow is important too. Most machines pretty much have that solved. But heat is very important because heat is um, one of the key components to good extraction of espresso. And so you don't want to lose the heat of the water as it travels from the boiler to the brew head, the brew group, or the group head, kind of interchangeable terms there. Uh, And you don't want it to lose heat as it goes through the puck of coffee. Basically, you don't want it to, to start even being capable of losing heat until it touches the air as it comes out of the portafilter spouts. So some more affordable espresso machines don't necessarily regulate the temperature. They don't do anything to maintain the temperature of the water once it's out of the boiler. So it shoots through the tubes, which will heat up pretty quick. It's because of the water going through them. And then it hits the group head and then it goes into the portafilter. And you want at this point the portafilter to be pretty hot in these sort of basic nothing 
going on except the water flowing through the, the, the tubes when you pull shots sorts of machines, generally you want to run some hot water through them first to heat up everything and to get the portafilter kind of warmed up, which can be a bit of a pain, but it's, it's worth it to, to keep the heat of the water as it goes through the portafilter. However, um, we would, the couple more that I'll talk about, there's a lot of different brew group designs, but I don't, we could do probably a whole episode on those. One that you'll see a lot is a saturated group head. And that is where the brew group is sitting up inside of a area of water that is being circulated around the group head, which is going to heat up the metal in the group head. And then that will transfer heat to the portafilter. So that's one kind of heated uh, group head, which it will be drawing boiler water for that. And then we've also got the E61 group head that you see on things like the rocket espresso machines and other Italian design machines. And an E61 group head sort of sticks out from the machine, but it does have a sort of um, flow of water running through and around the group head, which heats up the group head and heats up the portafilter while it's engaged. An important thing to note about machines with saturated group heads and um, machines with E61 group heads is that you want the portafilter engaged and locked into the group head while the machine is heating up. So I would say just leave it locked in all the time when you're not using it so you don't forget. But at the very least, you don't want to have to put the portafilter in right before you brew because then it's not going to have that heat. Uh, so keep that in mind if you get a machine like that. Um, generally, we think that the saturated group heads and E61 group heads are very desirable if you can find a way to get hold of one because, again, they're just going to provide better temperature stability. Because even if you run some water through a, uh, a, a non-saturated, just sort of standard group head, to heat up the portafilter, you're still not getting that consistent, constant temperature and really keeping everything flowing at, at, at a highly regulated temperature. Uh, so with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about uh, drinks per hour. This is a metric that I've seen used a lot and talked about a lot. People want to know how many drinks per hour their espresso machine can brew. And um, what I would tell you is don't worry about it too much. Um, usually what this is, what this question is, is asking about is, can this machine hold up if I want to like take it to a commercial environment? Uh, generally, if you're asking that question, the answer is either, well, it doesn't really have an effect in the answer, but you shouldn't need to ask that question because a commercial espresso machine is going to be able to brew basically as many drinks per hour as you can make. Um, and home machines might have more recovery time, so you may not be able to just brew back to back as the boiler refills with water and heats it up. But this is it's less about how many drinks per hour a machine can make and more about what is the recovery time of the boiler. Is the boiler large enough that I'm not going to be able to outrun it in my situation? Um, like, let's say you, if you if you're asking this question because you want to be able to make four drinks for your family back to back to back to back, um, I would say you're probably not, you're probably looking at a more expensive machine. That's going to be something like a dual boiler that has a dedicated, uh, brew and steam boiler so that it's able to kind of have a lot of capacity for brewing. If you want to make two drinks back to back, you might need a minute or two uh, warm up time in between your shots, but a lot of machines can have the capacity to make that that happen pretty easily. So it just depends on your situation. And I would think more about the recovery time, ask the question of what kind of recovery time, what, how big is the boiler for this machine? And um, 
and 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 that's another subject that we could probably do a whole episode on. So maybe in the future we'll talk a little bit more about how to really interpret those numbers for your uh, purchasing uh, guidance. So the next question I have here is, why does boiler type matter? Which kind of relates back to the last question in a way, and, and we'll get a little bit more into that here. Boiler type is going to mostly matter for capacity, like we talked before, and for um, the recovery time that we talked about, and then also for um, simultaneous brewing and steaming. And then finally, serviceability, longevity, those are very important things too. But basically, you're going you're gonna to see a lot of different names for, for boilers, thermal block, thermal coiler, heat exchanger, uh, dual boiler. And basically, what you're looking at there is if you're talking about a, a like a thermal block or a thermal coil heater, those are going to uh, pull water in and heat it up very rapidly as it's pulled through the, the sort of block that's very hot and then just sort of shoot that right to your brewing unit. So things like um, the Breville's Bambino line has these thermal block heaters that are real fast heat up time and they don't really retain much water at all in the heating system. They're mostly pulling it through and heating it up very fast. They work really well. They have really good uh, recovery time, but then they're kind of lower capacity, so you can't really brew and steam at the same time with them because it's a pretty small amount of water that's being heated at once and it has to go one place. If you look at something like a heat exchanger, this is going to be a boiler that has a smaller sort of heated tube of water that is shooting off from the boiler and going through back through the boiler and it's pulling heat from the boiler to and then heating up more to do things like steam. So it's I'm not explaining it super well. You can just sort of do some searches on it and it'll you'll see it'll make sense when you see it. But basically this sort of boiler is going to allow you to brew and steam at the same time. It may not allow you to brew four drinks in a row really fast, but it's going to let you do the brewing and the steaming at the same time, which is nice for uh, saving time and sort of just dialing in. It's very fun to be able to get to the point where you can get your shot going and get your milk steaming at the same time. And then it all comes out just perfectly together and you don't have anything sitting waiting for the other component of the drink. Then you've got things like dual boilers, dual boilers sort of take it to the next level and have a dedicated brewing boiler and a service boiler is what we call it. That's going to provide steam and hot water. So in these cases, you're getting even more capacity. You're pretty much going to have a large amount of steaming capacity and brewing capacity. So it's going to be harder to outrun the machine. You're going to be able to make more drinks in a row. And um, from a serviceability standpoint, a dual boiler has two boilers. So if you have, this is especially important in a commercial environment, but the principle applies everywhere. You have a boiler or a machine that has its steam boiler go out, then oftentimes with the technician, you can reroute it so that you can brew and steam from the other boiler until you wait to replace the, the boiler that died. So that's kind of where the dual boiler uh, design um, shines is in that commercial environment. But you can get them for home machines as well, and they, they certainly uh, perform. Basically, they give you that kind of prof professional level of performance in a home machine, which is really cool. There are other boiler types as well, but those are kind of the main ones that you'll see around Seattle Coffee Gear. And you can kind of take that information and run with it to kind of learn about how other boilers work. So then the next question I have is a we're going to go into a couple of drip and slow brewing questions now. 
because I didn't want to only talk about espresso for the whole episode. Um, one is why does filter type matter? So you might see things like a basket filter or a cone filter, and then there's even some more kind of weird filters outside of that. There's like some things like the Aspro Bloom and the Kalita Wave use sort of basket filters, but they're they're built a little bit differently. And these these names, as you probably know, refer to the form factor of the filter. So you've got your cone filters that are shaped like a cone. You've got your basket filters that are shaped more like a flat bottom basket. And certain people will tell you that the type of filter is core to the flavor of the coffee that you're going to brew off of that machine or, or, or pour over. I would say certainly it has a chemical effect on your coffee. If you think about how coffee is brewed, slow brew coffee is brewed, water is coming from whatever the hot water source is and it's saturating those coffee grounds. So it's sort of spreading through the coffee coffee grounds and then eventually it's dripping out the bottom of the filter. So if you think about the way a cone filter is shaped, naturally it's going to pull water from the top and it's going to saturate it through denser grounds as it pulls through the filter to a pointy tip. And a basket filter is going to provide a more um, it's going to sort of more gently flow out around the basket and then come out um, less in, in less of a uh, single point and sort of flow out around the bottom of the filter. And then it's going to get collected and then come out of a single point generally from your holder. Um, yes, it's true that that means that the extraction is happening differently. I don't personally, I have a reasonably refined palate. I'm no, um, like no, I'm no coffee roaster, but I have a reasonably refined palate. I don't personally notice a significant difference between cone and basket type filters. There are certainly people who claim to, and I believe them. And I think if you're interested, the best way you can go, you can try this out for yourself is for a reasonably expensive or a reasonably affordable amount of money. You can pick up a pour over dripper that uses a basket type like a Kalita Wave or something, and then something that uses a cone type, more like a Hario. And um, you can sort of see for yourself. Obviously, Hario cones are a little bit different than some other cones, so it's it's always the Melita cones, which are different than Chemex. So it's hard to get a one-to-one comparison, but, but just pick up a more affordable drip brewer in each style and see if you notice a difference in flavor yourself. Uh, I personally don't notice a huge difference. Um, another cool option is the Breville Precision Brewer has the ability to swap to different filter types, which is just kind of cool because it lets you do some experimentation. So I think that's really what it comes down to is the experimentation of different types of coffees with different extraction methods is just a fun thing to try. So that's my main interest in different kinds of filters. Uh, and then so for our last question, why do we even call it slow brewing at all? Um, I, I guess I should have probably done this one before the last one but uh if if you were left wondering what that the answer to that is the reason we call it slow brewing is because it doesn't happen at the same kind of pressure and speed that espresso brewing happens at so um espresso has while it maybe hasn't been as mainstream in at least the united states as drip coffee espresso has been around for a very long time uh and it kind of evolved alongside slow brewing of coffee 
as the two different ways to make coffee. So for many people, coffee means espresso and it's brewed at pressure, nine bar pressure, uh, and it's brewed at a, at a certain ratio of like generally one to two is what I do. And you're brewing it in about 20 to 30 seconds. So by comparison, a drip brewer, which might take three to five minutes to sort of drip water in and drip it through the coffee. And then that drips down into the, the carafe that you're using or the cup that is slower brewing. So that's what we call it slow brewing. And we usually use that term to apply to anything that's basically not espresso because steep brewing, press brewing, um, cold brew, these are all slower methods of brewing that use a, a coarser ground. And that's one thing to note too, is that because it's a slower brewing process, we generally use a grind with more surface area for the, the grounds, each, each individual ground. Um, because the water is going to be contacting it for longer periods of time. So we want it to be less soluble and more, um, the water is going to, to spend more time saturating through it and picking up more of the coffee molecules from that surface area. Go back to our extraction episode. If you have more questions about that, because Jake, I think does a really good job of explaining it there better than I'm, than I am able to off the top of my head. So hope that you enjoyed that. That's uh, another set of some questions. We're going to keep doing these with some regularity because I really like the sort of Q&A style of episode, and I hope that you enjoy it too. That is going to do it for the Seattle Coffee Gear podcast. Thanks again for listening, and uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please drop us a review and tell a friend about it. It really helps us out. helps us grow the audience for the, the show. And, of course, if you have any coffee-related needs, be sure to check out seattlecoffeegear.com. We have tons of machines and brewers and accessories and filters and, of course, coffee as well uh, for your perusal. Make sure that you are shopping early for the holidays this year. We keep saying it. We're going to keep saying it until the the holidays are over. Uh, Stock is very limited for a lot of items, and with shipping delays the way they have been recently, you might have some... uh, you, You might see some delays in shipments as well that we can't really control. So, be sure to shop early, check out uh, the website for all kinds of sales that we have going on, and also be sure to check out our blog and our YouTube channels for more educational and informative coffee content. Thanks so much.